You're listening to the Sustainable and Resilient Cities podcast at the University of Liverpool. My name's Abby O'Connor. I'm a PhD student in sociology here at Liverpool, and I'll be your host for this series. Today's our first episode in which we're joined by an external PhD student. Here with us is Lucy Dowdall, a student in the Biological and Environmental Sciences at Liverpool John Moores University. Lucy's research looks into the management and maintenance of the Mersey estuary specifically, and she'll talk about highlighting the various reasons why we need to conserve spaces like this. Hey Lucy, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us a bit more about your research, please? Yeah, um, thank you for having me. So the broad title of my research is a natural capital approach to management of UK estuary, which is an awful lot of technical terms. Specifically, I'm looking at the Upper Mersey estuary, which is bordered by Runcorn, Widnes and Warrington. Breaking that down, natural capital is a method that considers the value of the total ecosystem. It's quite holistic um, and it aims to conserve the important services and functions within that system. Estuaries themselves, and particularly the Mersey estuary, are really interesting and, in my opinion, super cool. They're very important areas too. They are very highly productive, so plants can grow very efficiently in them because of the ecosystem plants can grow very efficiently within them because they've got an awful lot of nutrients coming in. They also serve super important functions like carbon storage, which in light of climate change, super, super important at the moment. Away from the scientific aspect of it, they're very important to us as people. Um, the Mersey is a fabulous example of this. They are very culturally important. So I'm looking at all of those um, and how to conserve all of those functions as best as we can with natural capital. Amazing. Okay, so the phrase natural capital does face quite a bit of criticism in terms of people both within and outside academia implying that it insinuates a commodification of nature. Um, Based on your experience as a researcher in your field, what would be your response to these criticisms? It's understandable because we do tend to think of value as price. But within this context, there are price-based values and there are non-price-based values. So the best example of this is, so a fishery can very easily be valued using the market prices. How much does that fish sell for? But an open green space, so like a park down the road, that's completely free to use, you can walk down to it, you can walk around to it. It doesn't have a price, but it does have a value. Um, And it's very hard to argue that it doesn't have a value. So there are two ways of thinking about value within this. And it's important to remember that natural capital doesn't just mean commodification. It does mean the values intrinsic and monetary as well. Okay. So what is currently being done to protect estuaries and of what's being done? Is this enough? What more do we need to see? And then can we talk a bit about how the Liverpool city region, obviously because our focus on this podcast, is the local um, in Liverpool. So where does the Liverpool city region fit into this? Are they leading players? Are they lagging behind? What sort of things is going on in the Mersey? So within the Mersey estuary, there is actually um, a Ramsar site, which is a sort of protected area. It limits what people can do within that area. And it's a very interesting site. It's got an awful lot of birds there that are fascinating. But protected areas aren't fabulous for estuaries, in my professional opinion, just because they would limit access to it. And the Upper Mersey estuary has three quite large towns, at which point 
it's quite difficult to limit access to it. There's also an awful lot of arguments and debates around protected areas and how these are classified and whether these are quick acting enough or fast acting enough to actually respond to things like a climate emergency or like a flood. But in general, protected areas seem to be the main method of protecting estuaries. We've also got things like the biodiversity net gain principle, which is coming in. But again, that's so new, we can't really say whether it's working or not at this point. What's that principle? Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so the UK government's got a, um, a new approach, for want of a better word, where if you are developing a site or if you are investing in a site, they would like you to be able to improve biodiversity within that site by about 10% or aim for improvement by 10%. Is there a time frame on that? I don't believe there is, but I would have to look into it a little bit more to find a time frame. Sorry. Um, sorry. It's all right, don't worry. Throwing um, curveball questions in there. That's um, not cool of me, sorry. <laughs> it's absolutely fine. But yeah, um, improving that site biodiversity by 10%. There are a couple of sites on the estuary that are trying to do that. So I believe on the salt marshes, they're trying to do that. But again, it's very new and as with anything in ecology and biology, we don't really know the impact of it for another 10, 15 years at the very least. Yeah. Just to jump in there, just for people that are listening and obviously, you know, most people that, a lot of people that are listening probably either live in or are from the Liverpool city region. And some people might be thinking, you know, what is it specifically about estuaries that are so important that need protecting, right? Beyond the obvious kind of aesthetic of them. So can you tell us a bit more kind of socially, economically, in terms of tourism, perhaps, and then the ecological and scientific, scientific benefits. Can you just give us a few examples of those uh, specific within the city region to kind of give people a bit more of an understanding of why it's such an important feature? Absolutely. The Mersey Estuary itself is a massive tourism boon to Liverpool. Um, there's a Mersey Estuary Festival, um, which does draw an awful lot of people in. Um, and it's almost a bit of a cultural icon in Liverpool. It's fabulous. Um, it's given its name to things like Mersey Beats um, and it's in artwork. And it's got a lot of local tourism as well. So people from within Liverpool visiting the waterfront and the estuary, going along the Transpennine Trail, visiting that Ramsar site I mentioned. It's all very much drawing people in because people do like to go and see nature and see these fabulous sort of vistas going on, yeah. which does drive tourism and drive the economy. So if you're going down to the Ramsar site, go to a cafe nearby and that's money going into the economy that wouldn't have gone into it without that site there. All that being said, and obviously we're making this podcast in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic and we've been talking a lot in our other episodes about, well, upcoming we'll be talking about physical influences, impacts, but we've also been speaking about the impacts on people's mental health in relation to school children and other areas. The Mersey Estuary itself, there's quite a lot to be said around COVID, right? So there's a lot to be said about the ecological benefits of people using transport less, people using cars less, right? Us actually, um, the planet kind of recovering from us being in lockdown in some ways, which seems, sounds like a, a, an odd sentence to be saying when it was, um, you know, when a pandemic is obviously so detrimental to people's lives, but such is the way that we inhabit this planet. But also, you know, let's talk a bit about the mental health, uh, the positive benefits that the Mersey Estuary can give for people's mental health, right? So people getting out in into fresh air, people having the space um, and the time to enjoy 
the, the green spaces that we have, right, which the estuary gives us. Can you talk to us a bit about that and why it's so important and how we're seeing this kind of in relation to when we apply it within the context of COVID? Yeah, so um, COVID has been quite unusual, <laughs> putting it mildly, but it has made us sort of stop and realise where we're living, the environment we're in. Yeah. Um, and it's been one not quite positive thing out of it but one thing out of it has been it's been a nice little pause point to sort of sit there and go oh hang on this is where I'm living this is where I'm sort of stuck for a little bit and parks and green spaces and places like the estuary have really come into their own in this environment because we are dealing with an awful lot of mental strain from lockdown we're dealing with physical health strain from lockdown because we can't go to a gym we can't sort of ensure that we'll be healthy just because we've been living healthily for the last god knows how long and these parks and open areas and the estuary they give us a really fabulous chance to improve our mental health markedly by being outside it's been shown time and time again that green spaces and outdoor spaces improve our mental health and take a little bit of strain off mental health services they improve our physical health because we're outside and we're walking and we don't notice that we're doing a lot of activity again taking an awful lot of strain off the healthcare system at a time that it really needs as little strain on it as possible yeah it's really fabulous it's win-win situations where we can go out appreciate what's there um, without sounding a little bit like a hippie, appreciate what's there, let it benefit us mentally, let it benefit us physically, and then go back to a situation which is very unusual. We're still, I'm still not used to working from home. I don't know about everybody else, um, but it is still a very unusual situation and it oh, just definitely. eases that strain a little bit for us. And I think it's so important, right? I mean, I think I've said this in other, um, in other episodes, but I think I grew up in the countryside and you definitely realise when you're in cities and, you know, it's, I think during COVID, it's very important to be kind of reflexive on your own situation in terms of, you know, I'm so lucky we, we have a small yard, but those of us that have gardens and yards and that small amount of space that you can go out in, um, you know, compared to people that live in, in tower blocks and stuff. So don't have that space, but you definitely realise how much we have previously taken for granted these outdoor spaces, you know, to be honest, not many people, not many young people, I would say, uh, you know, likely to sit there and say, do you know what? I absolutely love the Mersey estuary. It's such an important part of my life. We're probably more likely to say things like Sefton Park or Coldies are important parts. You know, having that ability to go down, go down to the water and have that space is so, so important. Oh, it's absolutely. Um, and it, it's multifaceted as well because um, we are organisms within a system. So it's not completely to blame for young people to myself included to be thinking like well what am I going to do with my career how am I going to figure out housing we've got an awful lot on our shoulders but going down somewhere like (laughs) going somewhere like the estuary and uh, just sort of enjoying it having it healthy it's noticeable people can tell the difference between a healthy estuary and an unhealthy estuary even if they've had absolutely no biological training whatsoever it's noticeable and it gives you things like cleaner air it gives you cleaner water it raises that sort of uh, weight off you just even if it's only for 20 minutes that's 20 minutes without having the weight of the world on your shoulders and it can do wonders for people and that's really important and um, i'm 
obviously no biological expert at all, as is very clear from this podcast series. But I think in Liverpool specifically, it's a city with high pollution, air pollution rates, and the Mersey itself has, as far as I know, in my expert knowledge of uh, the Mersey, in recent years, become a lot cleaner. I'm, I'm right in saying that. Yeah, absolutely. It used to be um, one of the most polluted estuaries in Europe, and it's been cleaned up fabulously in recent years. People have taken much better care of it. That pollution coming, is that pollution coming from littering? Is that coming from, what's that coming from? So historically, it began with the Industrial Revolution. So Liverpool was very, very big in the Industrial Revolution. It's a poor city, it would be. But remnants of that have just continued onwards. We've been using it quite a lot. And it's been, conservation has been a little bit confrontational about this in recent years, in a personal opinion. An awful lot of don't use that. You can't use that. It's not for you to use anymore, which doesn't help with uh, people receiving the approach or receiving conservation Um, but we are slowly coming to realize it's much more important and we are starting to green the world a little bit especially with climate crisis is happening especially with sort of covid happening and we are starting to slow down and pay a bit more attention to it but it's mostly historical yeah and people are starting to you know make that glaringly obvious connection between climate crisis and capitalism yeah (laughs) Let's just, I'm just wary that um, obviously we've been talking about your research, but for those that are listening that are interested in your research specifically, can you tell us just a bit about your methodology, what methods you'll be using? I know you're only in your first year, so obviously you're not going to be deep into that stage yet, but can you tell us a bit about how it is you're going about this research in non-biological language, please? I'll do my best. (laughs) Um, So I'm doing multiple streams of research in this. I, within the more data science part of it. Data science, I love that. Data science. (laughs) I am creating maps of the estuary. So I've created base maps, which have all the different habitat types in. So um, salt marshes, gardens, housing estates. It picks out what sort of habitat is there. And from that, we can figure out what services that habitat is providing. So a forest is really good at carbon storage. It's really good at air purification. And a garden also really good at air purification, depending on what's there, obviously. And then I create service maps over the top of that. The slightly more exploratory side of that is I have been deleting certain habitats. So this morning I took out a field and built in a block of flats and I've been rerunning my uh, maps and rerunning my code to see what that block of flats does to the services, if that makes sense, (laughs) compared to having a field. You're incredibly productive. We're recording this at 10 o'clock in the morning. So you've already (laughs) done all that and I definitely haven't. Quickly, how are you, what are you using? What software are you using to make the maps? Just for anyone interested, is it GIS? Is it different software? I'm just trying to get in my knowledge of um, quantitative uh, methods, which is very, very thin. <laughs> yeah, so I've been using two uh, different software softwares. For actually viewing the maps, I've been using something called QGIS, completely free, fully have a play with it if you'd like. What's it called? Q- QGIS, Q-G-I-S. Cool. 
and for running the services and uh, creating the base map, I've been using something called EcoServe on RStudio. Um, I'm very comfortable with R, so it's all free software. So I'm definitely not the only person that can do this. It's just a little bit complicated to get your head around to start with, but it's fun. I would recommend it. <laughs> so let's talk a bit about, obviously we've highlighted well, actually, if you can briefly say before I go on to this final question, what are the main, but kind of what are the main factors that are that risk destroying the estuaries? Like, what's the overarching? Is there certain is there certain things that we do, whether that's corporations, whether that's we as people, that are harming the estuaries the most? That we need to be aware. Um, of? Yeah. So, is that a terrible question? Sorry. No, no. It's uh, it's one I need to think a little bit about. Pollution definitely is something we should be aware of at the very least thankfully not an awful lot as far as I'm aware is dumped in the estuary anymore certainly used to be <laughs> we do have to be considerate of sort of downstream effects as well so if someone further along the river puts something in the river it's going to affect the estuary yeah it might take a couple of days or weeks or months to get to the estuary but it will have an effect and we do have to sort of pick that up and be aware of it working with ecosystems nothing exists in isolation and my favorite sort of summary of biology is it's all a little bit more complicated than that yeah but yeah we do have to be aware of that the massive huge like issue at the moment and i'm sure people are getting sick of us harping on about it is climate change we just don't know what it's going to do to it we can predict it all we want we can use predictive software all we want there is some really snazzy stuff out there but we don't know there's always that margin of error and it could be mild hopefully touch wood or it could be completely devastating and recovering from that could be really really difficult there's also the fact that it is populated there are a lot of people there and i'm absolutely not advocating for removing people but those people will have an impact being aware of the impact that people have just by existing there is really important too there's a lot <laughs> there's quite a lot it's multifaceted again um, and very complicated so then with that being said can can there be right now can can we look to the possibility of a win-win situation situations that aren't totally destructive for the local environment but are reflective of the needs that we have in society for example we are in desperate need of housing properly affordable housing not the tory government version of affordable housing which is you know half a mil or whatever it is but how can we build that develop that without destroying our green spaces without destroying or risking the future of the estuary for example so it's absolutely possible and i don't know if I'm an eternal optimist, but I'm constantly trying to find these sort of win-win-win scenarios where nothing bad happens. I'm very optimistic to find them, and I'm sure at some point in my career I'll get a bit more realistic. But it is completely possible. So on the estuary, housing definitely needed. We do need more houses. We need to be able to get people off the streets. We need to be able to get people on the housing market. I personally don't want to be generation rent forever but um it's possible so we can work with developers and like i said on these maps i can build a block of flats in a morning i can build a development in a morning and i can tell people what effect that development is likely to have on the environment um, and i can tell 
what effect that's likely to have on the people who live there too. So if we build a development and instead of putting in a third block of flats, we say, okay, let's leave that, let's make a park. That's going to be much, much better for the environment because it'll have trees in it. Maybe it'll have a little lake in it. It'll have an open green space. It'll be better for the people living there because they'll have access to a green space, which is better for their mental health. It's better for their physical health. It's generally a more attractive place to live. It gives them a little bit more pride in living there rather than saying, oh, I live in a concrete jungle. So I live in a place that's got a lovely park. It's great. Yeah. And I think crucial here then, I guess what I would say with my absolute obsession with the local, of course, um, would be that, well, obviously all these housing developments not to be built by like um, global property investment companies, of course, that's a huge problem, but that's a conversation for another time. But for these properties, these developments to be built with contact with local the local council, for example, right? So we need to be building these spaces. We need to be de designing the place in which we live with knowledge of the local area and what's needed and how it will affect it. You know, much the same as during COVID lockdowns, lockdowns sent from Whitehall and sent from London to local places in the Northwest and Northeast just aren't going to work because they don't know the situations and they don't want to know the situation. Absolutely, yeah. It, and that's the same with housing developers, I'm sure. And I'm sure that's one of your great frustrations. And without, and building building spaces, doing anything in isolation without thinking about, well, now I sound like the optimist as if this is ever going to be possible when money and capital is involved, but building spaces that aren't just built for that one purpose that take into account the other issues that are going on around them, right? Yeah, it's, uh, it's being a little bit more aware and it does take a little bit more effort, granted, but thinking about it, it's, it's just that little bit more, oh, wait, where are we actually placing this? And there is an awful lot of good news from it. So <laughs> there is something fueling our optimism, thankfully. But yeah, we have started to, as the Northwest Manchester, Liverpool, started to lead sort of this natural capital method and started to lead where this is going. So Liverpool itself has a natural capital working group, which is very active and has already created the baseline of the entirety of the Liverpool city region ready to be used. Um, hopefully in a strategic way so we can plan places a little bit better. Manchester is part of the urban pioneers. It's super, super positive work is going on. It's just a little bit more effort and we'll get there. It's yeah. hard, but we'll get there. I'm optimistic about it, to say the least. Well, as an internal pessimist in this world, I will take some of your optimism and embody it. Thank you. Uh, we're running out of time now, so I'm probably going to wrap up here. Is there anything you want to add? Um, anything, any last things to say on your work, where it's going? As a sort of a human being rather than a scientist, I, I'd just like to implore people just to, you know, spend a little bit of time thinking about what you get from the environment, what you can give back to the environment, how we fit in as people, because we are part of it we are part of this big wide planet and we're part of the ecosystem and sometimes it is nice just to sit down and go oh hang on that tree outside my house is giving me fresh air I guess I should be a little bit more thankful to it maybe I should you know give it a little bit of water when I've got a little bit spare just be a little bit more holistic in how we view ourselves and the world around us because we are a part of it and we can't escape that so we might as well come to terms with it yeah 
Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Lucy. Thank you for having me. Uh, Lucy's contact details are in the episode description and you can drop her an email if you want and find out a bit more about her work. And thank you as ever to our amazing producer, Ronnie Hughes, who has to go through all these recordings and take out my swear words and all of my ramblings. He is amazing.